Welcome back to part two of our interview with Charlotte Smith of Three Cow Marketing and Shampoo Creamery. In part one, we discussed how farmers need to price their products to stay in business. In today's conversation, we'll find out the vital role raw milk plays in the health of Charlotte's family, which type of cow's milk is easiest to digest, how to ensure your access to real food in the future, and much, much more. Coming up next on the Nutrition Heretic Podcast. Meet Gina. Gina wanted to lose weight, so she spent two years fasting, detoxing, and dabbling with vegan diets while practicing a shit ton of yoga to lose 25 pounds, but it took so long that nobody noticed. Then, Gina started Frenching her food by eating fatty cheeses, butter, sausages, and red meat, and lost 15 more pounds in only two months. Everybody noticed this time. Frenching your food unlocks the riddle of weight loss that skinny French chicks use to slim down, look young, and live longer despite doing everything wrong. Be like Gina. Start Frenching your food today by visiting nutritionheretic.com forward slash Frenching. Fat is bad for you. I just pop a pill and I'm fine. Meat is murder. <laughs> it's time for bad food punishment. It's time for real nourishment. It's time for the nutrition heretic. The following program is provided as information only and may not be construed as medical or health advice. It is not intended to diagnose, treat, or cure any disease. No action or inaction should be taken solely on the basis of the information provided here. Please consult with a licensed healthcare professional or doctor on any matter relating to your health and well-being. So tell me, because you've brought it up uh, many times, tell me about the, the raw milk, how you got into it, and how it's changed your health and your life. Sure. Well, so my kids are 23 and 20, almost 10. So my 23 and 20-year-old, when they were six, weird, just weird thing, both of them, when they turned six, they developed eczema. Mm. So my daughter had eczema for six years. And as a mother, any mother of sick children, you're, you'll do anything to help your kids feel better. And it was really awful. It was debilitating. It was mm -hmm. all over her face. It was painful, red, you know, all the time. My son had bloody scabby hands all the time from mm. itching and it was over his body. So over that six years, people would recommend all sorts of things. Like, have you tried this herb and this salve yeah. and this cream and this vitamin and this, this, and I tried everything again, like any good mother would do, you run, run out and buy it and nothing worked. Well, someone mentioned that a doctor in California, which was Dr. Thomas Cowan mm -hmm. and had been recommending, or t people were using raw milk to heal their kids' eczema. Well, I'd never heard of raw milk 12 years ago. <laughs> I didn't even know what that it was like, really? They don't boil it? Oh, that's weird. <laughs> and it was, it was it was very hard to find in Oregon because we have this weird law. You can have three cows or fewer, which makes it horrendously expensive to mm -hmm. produce. Oh, of course. Well, that's why they do it. Well, we'll let you do it, but it's going to cost you. Yeah. So there was hardly, uh, there's hardly any raw milk producers still today. 
and they go out of business very quickly because they don't price it at a point to stay in, you know, to even pay the bills. So they're out of business very quickly. So I found this place. It was kind of underground. And um, I had no expectations because in six years, nothing else had worked with my kids. And I brought home this raw milk and we, I think we had a glass a day. We just, you know, here it's dinner time. Everyone has to have a glass of this milk. And two weeks later, my son came out and showed me the backs of his hands were just pure, smooth skin. The bloody scabby that he'd been for his three years of eczema was totally gone within two weeks. Wow. And it all, I, so I looked over the rest of his body, all his eczema patches were completely gone and they've never come back. And then my daughter had it for longer. It took her started subsiding right away and it took about six months to go away completely and it didn't come back. So then we just kept drinking it. That was the first thing. And I didn't think much about it until a year later, I looked back over the year and I thought, you know, up until that point, a mother of a 12 and a nine-year-old, I was used to my kids having at least one or two ear infections during the winter ah, yeah, and one round of antibiotics. And that was normal. Actually, that was really good because many of their classmates would have three or four rounds of antibiotics in the winter. Exactly. <laughs> you know, so I thought we were- You, you thought you were healthy. ahead of the game, right? I did. And we were eating the standard American diet. I thought, aren't we healthy? Well, I looked back and realized that no one got sick. No one had antibiotics. Um, it was just crazy. And that was the only thing we changed that first year. That's what I was going to ask you. I'm like, are you sure Tom didn't tell you to do something else? Because that's just insane. That's all we changed. Because again, I was a busy mom of these two kids busy in school. And I didn't have time to even read or research. It was like, okay, I found my thing that cured their eczema. And that was it. And that's all we changed was the addition. At that point, we hadn't even taken any of the bad food out. Like we were still eating a lot of processed food. So really just all we'd done was the addition of raw milk. That's crazy. Yeah. And I love, I I love that because uh, dairy haters, I'm calling you, (laughs) you know, the people who are like, Oh, dairy so bad for you. It doesn't do anything. It just mucus. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's, it's not the milk. It's what we did to milk. (laughs) Yeah. Pasteurized antibiotics and all the other jazz. Yeah. It's the number one most allergenic food in America. Pasteurized milk. Right. Yet people are using raw milk to combat their allergies. Oh, and that's the other thing. So I used to have terrible hay fever. Mm-hmm. Six six months out of the year, I was on over-the-counter allergy medicine just to be able to leave the house. And I could not spend much time out in a grass field, even on the medication. Well, my allergies went away completely in the first two years. So uh, so then after that, you know, I was involved, got more involved in the Weston Price Foundation, found a source for grass fed beef. And over those first few years, we gradually started learning how to bring in higher quality foods and get rid, stop cooking with, you know, bad oils and, and yeah. started cooking with coconut oil. And now we cook with all our own pastured pork lard. And so it was a, it was a gradual process, but the initial healing was so quick and so, um, just big, you know, and complete. It was, it was amazing. So, so then, uh, like I said earlier, we lost our raw milk source three times. Our farmer went out of business Mm -hmm. because it's a very, very, very expensive and also very hard on family life. So 
then I thought, well, you know, I had, I grew up in the country. I worked on the farm all my life till I went to college. I could have a milk cow. So that's when I started taking the business side of it. And I spent a year researching it before I brought home my first dairy cow and I had customers built up and everything. And when I brought home my first dairy cow, you know, we, we had a waiting list from the very start. So, and it was really just sharing my story of my kids healing and how healthy we were and people got on board and were excited, you know, mom's groups and all that. It was just my network of people right, at first right. and then it's expanded huge over the years. But even at the time I thought, well, we were paying, I don't know, we we're probably paying $12 a gallon for raw milk. I thought, well, for sure, we're going to save all this money bringing a milk cow home. And I can tell you this, it is still cheaper to go buy raw milk than have your own dairy cow <laughs> in, most, in, in most cases, not just, you know, because it is very expensive, but also the price you pay for family life and all that. Right, right. Yeah. And, you know, I was going to comment before, um, and I'm not going to say who this person is, but somebody in my family thinks that I, you know, entirely waste too much time and money on my milk and my meat and everything. Um, this person easily goes to Whole Foods once a week and drops 600 bucks and, and then and then eats out most of the week. Yeah. You know, and Whole Foods is just fancy processed food. It's just more yeah, expensive. Exactly. And it's all the meat is from out of the country. Yep. You know, with our with our labeling laws here in Oregon, most people don't realize that I can bring meat from anywhere in the world to my farm. As long as I package it on my farm, I can say it's from my farm. And you know what? I had a I had a an Amish farmer who told me something very similar. He went over to <laughs> he saw uh, one of his it, it was a uh, Reading Terminal Square in, in Philadelphia. Uh, they have a market. So he was in there one day and he sees this Amish man who uh you know, has his label about Amish meat. And he goes, Oh, I'm in that town. Where is your, where's your farm located? I don't know that farm. And he goes, Oh, well, I don't actually raise it there. I import it from Fiji and then I leave it on my farm for 24 hours, slap a label on it. And I can say that it's, you know, from Amish country. Yeah. Yeah. So, and he, <laughs> so to me, doesn't, I mean, to me, I instantly think, wow. And I'm going to lump myself in this category. Wow. We Americans are so stupid. Mm-hmm. You know, we allow this to go on. We know right. this on some level, but we allow it to go on. And it it drives me nuts going to restaurants here in the Portland area. There's this uh, slaughterhouse called Carlton Farms, and it's a slaughterhouse in the and they've done a magnificent job of marketing. They painted a green pasture on the side of their delivery truck and put some cows out there. And so all these restaurants think they're buying farm fresh right. meat that was raised in Carlton, but all of it most 90% of it's from outside the country. They bring it here, they package it, put their label on it. So it's like, I hate when a waiter will say, Oh yeah, that's our, our $75 filet mignon tonight from Carlton farms. It came from Japan or Mexico. Or, you know, <laughs> and, and they, there's no grass in Mexico, you know, right. grass. <laughs> yeah. So oh my we're gosh. so duped. And we've just come to, like you said earlier, trust that the government, well, the government allows this. So therefore it must be raised on that green pasture down the street. Yeah. Otherwise, otherwise the police would shut them down. Well, no. <laughs> well, and and the other thing about this person in, in my family uh, spends three to four times a, a month at the doctors with, with the kids with all kinds of infections and this and that. And constantly, yes. I, I don't think I've ever seen this, the, these kids without like, you know, the antibiotic being force fed into them. 
Uh, right. It's crazy. And that quality of life. And then they're like, really? when I'm they like, get in their 20s and 30s. And then their children are going to be born and have autism. Yes. Yes. You know, it's it's yeah. going to get worse and worse and worse. Yeah. And, and I'm thinking to myself, okay, so you can't, you can't uh, pony up 20 minutes a night to just get something on the table. But you can sit in the doctor's office for hours on end and then traipse over to the drugstore and spend a bunch of time in there. Yeah. You know, I think my life is a little bit more streamlined. It may not be easy all the time, but we don't have to go to the doctor. Yeah. You know? And again, and, often people don't make that shift until it's much more serious, you know, until exactly. the... the the, the, you finally get a disease that's debilitating and, and it's no longer just going to the doctor's office. And then finally they decide to change their right. nutrition. Right. Yeah. I'd like play catch up at the end. Uh, yeah. What, what now this is something that's interesting. Um, you mentioned Sally Fallon uh, mm-hmm. and you know, she has a farm now. Uh, yes. When I visited her farm, she said, cause her husband you know was a farmer in New Zealand. Uh, she said to me that, when he, when they decided to, to buy the farm, he told her that he would only do a farm if they, if they only milked once a day in the morning and skipped the, the afternoon milking because they get 80% of the milk with half the work and, and more butterfat and half the work. Did you find that to be true with your, with your farming? And have, have you heard that before? <laughs> so I'm a dairy farmer. I know raw milk inside and out. And those are nice numbers that he can throw around, but no, it's not, it's not that at all. It's not that at all. And it, you can go to, so once a day milking is wonderful if you can afford it because uh-huh. it, you can schedule it for any time of day. You can have your once a day, once a day milking be at noon. Right. Therefore you can have breakfast and dinner with your family again. So it's very nice for family life, but no, you don't get 80% of the milk. There's no way you don't even get 50% of the milk because milking once a day and 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 it's also not half the cost either. So well, it, I think it, she just means half the time and cuz you're only milking once so you don't have yeah, to be out there twice. No, that sounds good in theory, but I would never tell a dairy farmer those numbers. You're going to get less than half. So we've done that on our farm and the cows still take up the same amount of ground. You know, we yes. pasture, we move to fresh pasture every single day. So they're still using the same amount of pasture and you probably get about a third the milk. Okay. You, you will at first, but just think of a, a, a woman. And when you stimulate her mammary glands, the more you stimulate them, you know, nursing her baby, right. the more milk she produces. And then when you cut back on nursing your baby, your body adjusts over a few yeah. weeks and produces less milk. And when you start nursing your, because this is what I went through, you know, the very last year of nursing, because my kids nursed till they were older. Well, not that old, two and a half, <laughs> not like 12. But, um, you know, there, there was an April Fool's joke about that. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> I was reading it the other day. I was like, oh, this is just 15 years old. What is she nuts? <laughs> yeah, right, right. So, so the last six months of nursing was I nursed them before bed. And gradually over time, you know, my milk production decreased. And I know this is very intimate and personal, yeah, but yeah. a lot of mothers are the ones doing the farming and exactly. doing the marketing and listening to these podcasts and they can relate. So it's against common sense to even think that you could get 80% of the production. Right. You know, it's against nature. It goes against everything. So maybe the first week you switch to once a day, you will get high production because those cows are still adjusting. You know, their bodies are right. still producing milk for twice a day. 
But six weeks later, eight weeks later, you're going to drop from five gallons a day to one gallon a day. And I, I know this because of my own experience, but also working with hundreds of dairy farmers. So no, that is not the answer to a sustainable dairy farm. Okay. So then, so we did that for a year and then I did my taxes again and it was like, holy cow, I can't, because I have to be profitable in order to be in business. I couldn't sustain that. And it was like, we, we went back to milking twice a day. Right, right. Okay, good. That's that's one of those things. It's like one of those factoids somebody throws at you, and you're like, "Does this really play out the way?" Yeah, yeah. Like you said, it sounds good in theory, but yeah, there's there's always more than meets the eye. Like if you're making your money on your farm doing grass fed beef, and you want to have a milk cow in the backyard and feed your family and leave the calf on it and raise one calf a year and milk Mm. it once a day, oh, that's perfect for that. You know, it's perfect for one or two gallons a day. But if you're trying to have a raw milk dairy with a business, no, it's not um, right. really feasible. Okay, that, that makes a, a lot of sense. So what kind of breeds are you advocating for when it comes to to dairy cows? Because, you know, we know that the Holstein was, was uh, designed, built, bred, whatever, uh, for quantity more so mm-hmm. than, than butterfat. What, what are your favorite breeds and why? Sure. Well, again, going back to knowing that most farmers don't make it past the two-year mark, often, and going back to your chicken analogy, often people get into it with very idealistic dreams. They've read about these certain breeds. I have a student in our course who drives from Oregon to Missouri to pick up their specific breed of dairy cow. Well, that's not sustainable. You know, you can't, every time you need a cow, you can't drive five or six states and sustain that for a long time. So you can be really idealistic, but if you're trying to have a sustainable dairy farm, you need to find something that's close by. Um, I, of course, I love the quality of milk from, we, we milk jerseys and brown Swiss. Mm. And I, I think nothing can beat the Jersey milk. But the reason I milk jerseys is because one of my girlfriends, we grew up together. She's third generation dairy farmer. She lives a mile from my house and I can buy my jerseys from them. Ah. So, and, and I can tell you this too, you know, working with in the health area of raw milk and being a raw milk producer and seeing my customers heal. If all you can find is a Holstein cow to get raw milk from, go mm. ahead and get it because peop- I see people heal from raw milk from Holstein cows just as quickly and completely as raw milk from jerseys. So okay. As long as, as, as long as they're being fed the right way. Um, yes, fed you, the right way, but the bacteria. And, and also, when you, a, a Holstein on a conventional dairy is fed 25 pounds of grain a day, so they're geez. producing this enormous amount of milk. When you feed them, graze them on grass, like we, I don't have a Holstein, but if I did, it would just eat like my Jersey cow and it would give me, you know, the same four or five gallons a day and it would have a very thick cream line. So a big Jersey on a conventional dairy is going to produce something that looks like skim milk because the more quantity of milk a cow produces, the less fat is in that quantity, the less milk they produce, the more fat. So you can have a Holstein that produces uh, just as good and I see this in the healing of the people, the quality is the same. So 
But again, you've got those people who want to get started and get very idealistic. And even customers will have people that say, I only want to drink milk from this breed of cow. Yes. And it's like, well, you'll heal from any of them. So... Right. Now, now, do this, this actually brings up a really good uh, question in my mind. A2 versus A1 milk. Do you get caught up in that? No, I don't. And here's, here's why the, I've read the book, the, so what they say is that A1 cows have been modernized. Our cows like the Holsteins, they've been modernized. And so they're missing, uh, one of their chromosomes is missing or altered so that their milk is different than an old breed, such as a Jersey or a Guernsey or a Brown Swiss or any of those older breeds. So therefore you're going to have a bigger reaction to milk from a Holstein versus milk from these older breeds. And there's a genetic test you can do, take a hair sample and sample that. But again, I see just as many people healing from illness, from the raw milk from Holstein cows as the raw milk from Jersey cows. So, you, you know, that kind of, I have evidence to show that the quality is the same. The other thing is there are a lot of now, because it's trendy, Holstein dairies testing their cows, sending it in for this A2 test. And sure enough, 50% of Holstein cows are A2 cows as well. Uh-huh. So, <laughs> so I don't see that that has much foundation to it. And my, we do, you know, we milk older breeds, we milk the Jersey and the Brown Swiss. So I'm, I have, there's a very high likelihood that our cows are a two, but I don't test them. And I, if all you have access to is milk from a, a Holstein, go for it. You are going to heal. Right. Right. See, my problem is that anytime since I moved to Hawaii, I can't get a good cream line on my milk. I mean, it has cream, but when I used to buy from the Amish, I'd get this really thick cream and it would be like a third, easily a third to a half of a, of a gallon of milk with the cream. Um, uh-huh. and, and here, uh, do people are telling me that they're, you know, feeding almost exclusively grass or sometimes exclusively grass. I think they're stealing the cream. <laughs> well, there's, 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 I'm not getting that much cream off of the top and it's watery yeah. when I do. There, there's a lot of that, but uh, is it legal in Hawaii? You're drinking raw milk, right? Yeah, <laughs> um, it's okay. not. It's not legal. <laughs> yeah, so we won't go into where you're getting it. And and are they milking a Jersey or a Holstein or? Do you know what kind uh, of I milk? believe the one is a Holstein mix, and the other one's supposed to be a Jersey. These are two, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and and so, do you get it in the half gallon jars and it? Uh, like the the mason jars. And it has two inches of cream or less than that. Less than that. Yeah, you might talk to them about it because the only, and they, if they only have a couple cows, the earlier in the lactation the cow is, the less cream they give because okay. the more volume they give. So if the cow just had a calf, there's like when our cows just calve, our cream line goes down and everyone knows that. It's like, hey, she just had a calf. There's nothing I can do about it. But then you you make up for it. So right now we have a cow at the end of her lactation and some of her jars of milk are half cream. And it's like, okay, right. I'm not going to charge you extra for that. You know, but right, right. Remember that when she has a calf. But if you're finding it is consistently the same year round, then yeah, I'd guess that the cream may be going elsewhere. Right. Yeah. I know the the one was also doing some butter, but the other one, he's not, he's not chessing up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm like, well, oh my God, you know, I know you. Here's where that whole relationship with your farmer comes in. You have to be able to look your farmer in the eye 
and do you trust them? Would you sit down to dinner with them and trust everything right. they say? Because we've been at the butcher, you know, we haul our chickens to a USDA butcher near here and mm-hmm. we'll be standing next to another farmer and, and they'll say, oh, are yours organic? And we'll say, oh, well, we, we do no, non-GMO. And so what about yours? Oh yeah, we're, we're organic. Well, you know, we tell our customers that, but they don't know the difference. So, right, exactly. So you, there mm-hmm. is a lot of that going on in the farming world. So again, this you have to be super ethical. You have to find someone who's very ethical and ha- it's is complete alignment with their values and their practices. And that can be hard to find in any field, right. let alone farming. Yeah, yeah. And actually, uh, before I moved here, a friend of mine, her her nephew, who suffered from a ton of allergies and then, you know, made massive changes. He was living on a, on a farm, uh, down here. And he, you know, the, that's when he started drinking raw milk. And he said that the farmer who, you know, the, the owner of the farm, uh, would take the cream off and say that, Oh, farmer's rights, you know, and, and right. basically mm-hmm. screw the customer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Just, so well, un- unfortunately, fine. you know, if there you are tell- some. Yeah. I mean, that can be fine if you tell your customer, like. Right. And then, you know, then there's the freaks like me who just want the cream. Like I, for most, for most, uh, most purposes, I could care less about the actual milk. I just want cream. I like, you know, like a nice creamy mashed potato or, (laughs) or whatever, or, you know, um, homemade sour cream, uh, mac and cheese with lots of good fresh cream and eggs in there. Oh my goodness. It just Mm -hmm. is so good. I made, we've, we've had extra cream lately and I made creme brulee over the weekend. And we didn't have guests over or anything, so we ate creme brulee every day for about five days. It was just out of this world. <laughs> I, 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 can, I can think of worse things. <laughs> yeah, right, right. <laughs> um, so t- tell me about um, some of these labels, uh, because I think this is something that really stumps a lot of people. Organic, natural, grass-fed, and pastured. What do we have to look out for when it comes to these these labels? Because I'm always telling people, you know, don't get too hung up on organic uh, because of sort of what you say uh, about about the guys. Oh, they don't know the difference anyway. But also because it doesn't always mean what people think it means. Right. Yep. I just wrote that a blog post last week about it. And it was probably one of my most popular blog posts this year because a lot of our customers, and I'm writing the blog post to my ideal customers, are women 30s and 40s shopping for their families and we're we've been duped again into thinking that organic is the ultimate right. you know and it's not if there are levels to each one organic can be better in some cases pastured can be better grass fed now when you're talking it's usually beef where they say grass fed yes and grass fed grass finished beef is the ultimate but there's no legal definition of either pastured or grass fed. So exactly. that means we irrigate our pastures. They're, they're two feet high of fast growing lush grass most of the year. And that's what our cows are fed and finished on our, our beef cows. It's unlike anything you've ever seen. And it makes a difference in the flavor and the nutritional value. So that's grass fed. And my neighbor who has her cow on a little lot and feeds them hay 12 months of the year because the pasture's so overused, there's mm-hmm. no grass anymore. It's just a dirt lot. 
she can also call her beef cow grass fed. Jeez. So, so <laughs> then you come back to you have, and we do farm tours once a month in the summer so that our customers can get out on the pasture and see what a grass fed cow actually looks like and is eating because um, it's not what you think it is. And, and the way we do our beef, we're in the minority. So most grass fed cows um, are eating uh, hay most of the time and grass very little at the time. So it just, and this is just our own personal standards. We're the only ones that hold ourselves to those standards. Now mm-hmm. pastured, pastured again is, there's no legal definition. So you can have a dirt lot and call your animal pastured, even though you and I think pastured means tall green grass. Right. Well, as long as it's a dirt lot, you can call it pastured and there's not a blade of grass in sight. So it comes back to, you can't only just know your farmer, you have to go to your farmer's farm. And that's why I say I have this dream of these, you know, farms scattered all throughout the U.S. where their customers can visit them regularly and see, you know, the grass and and all that. And and it holds their farmer to a higher standard, too. Absolutely. Well, I mean, I love your relationship building. Uh, you know, you talked about that at the beginning. Uh, now you're telling me that you invite people actually to your farm to see yes. what it's like. You know, this it's so important to be able to walk on the farm. I remember when I was in New Jersey, I was met this woman. She was really snarky with me. And, you know, we were talking about milk and, and she, and she's like, well, I get a milk delivery from blah, 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 blah. And I said, oh, well, you know, I'd like to go out and, and know my farmer and, you know, see the farm and, and have the kids experience it and, you know, pet the goat, whatever. Uh, and she snapped at me and I know my farmer. She goes off on this like crazy tirade. And, and, and I'm thinking to myself, you're, wacko lady but you know it's yeah i think it's important you know she i don't think she's ever seen the guy's farm she just know she knows the guy because he drops it off but she never seen where where he's raising this stuff oh yeah i've had i've had people call me because you know they're on our raw milk wait list and they can't get it yet and so they'll say oh i went to this other farm and i just i just had to talk to someone because it have you ever been there it's so awful there's flies and this and that and you only get that through visiting the farm because you, I mean, the labeling can do so much. If you put a mm-hmm. grass, a, a label on your product, eggs or chicken or milk or whatever, and it's a grass pasture with the animal on it, people think that's what you have. They think you have, you know, this, this grass meadow with a few animals out there and no flies and no dirt. <laughs> and right. The only way to know different is to visit the farm. So I think that's really super important. And again, uh, trust that your farmer's telling you the truth and not showing you their farm and actually getting products from a CAFO or something like that. So- right. And, and and yeah, there's, I mean, there's a lot. Uh, one of the things that I have found is that very few will actually lie to my face, but they will more likely try to paint me as dumb for wanting certain things. Right. So, you know, like yeah. if I say, you know, I'm like, oh, is this, is this organically raised? Oh, well, you know, you got to spray stuff or else it just doesn't grow. And it's like, yeah, it's bl- <laughs> <laughs> like, freaking lying to me. Exactly. Yeah. Well, you're not doing it right. If you got to spray stuff, <laughs> you've done it. Yeah. You know, you, you've got problems, buddy. Uh, yeah. so you know, can, can I circle back to one thing? Sure. Though? I wanted to make one, one point when you asked about the organic versus grass. Mm, yeah, yeah. Natural. The, the one thing I 
try to hold the, the, I think at the top of that list should be pastured on green grass. So Mm. if you have, if you have a cow and you have a choice between an organic cow, which does not, you know, they can be in a feedlot fed organic grain and they're an organic cow. Right. Um, So you have an organic cow versus meat from a pastured cow that's not organic. Yes. And maybe they used Roundup around the fence line. That is, and but it's green grass. That is a much more nutritious mm-hmm. uh, food for you than the organic one raised on the feedlot. You're going to have far more of the CLAs and the omega threes and everything. Thank you in that pastured animal. Thank you. I think that is that is a huge point. And again, that's one of the reasons why I tell people don't get too hung up on organic. Uh, right. You know, as you know, with chickens, they are omnivores, just like pigs. And, uh, and humans for that matter. Uh, so many things will say organic vegetarian feed on their yeah. chicken eggs, which, right? Or, which means like, mm. it was raised on concrete. You know, right. they didn't touch a patch of dirt with a worm or a bug on it. If right. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, actually you, you, what this also reminds me of is, um, you know, there, there is a farmer that I know of. You talk to him, and it's funny because the first time I met him, I was like, so why are you selling, you know, what made you get into the chicken business? Uh, I don't know. And I'm like, okay, what's the deal? <laughs> I don't know. I just thought I'd buy a couple hundred chickens and I thought it might be a good business, right? So, and he's saying oh. that, he's saying that they're grass fed and everything. So he shows, you know, a couple pictures. This is my farm, right? <laughs> and you know, you could tell the guy's just not, he doesn't know anything about why he's doing it. You know, it has no background story about the nutrition or whatever that, you know, he feels that he's being part of a, a something bigger than himself right right so you can so i'm like i'm thinking to myself like what is going on with this guy i bought a chicken it was okay it was um i don't want to say it was overpriced but considering that i wasn't totally sold on what he was what he was saying i was like yeah i'm not sure i would do this again yeah so i'm talking to people and it comes out that somebody else had the idea and he heard this person say something. And not only that, but I then saw a picture of how he's really raising his chickens. Yeah. yeah. And, oh, yes, they're on grass, but they're in black tents mm-hmm. and, and, and tiny little, like, like, like tunnels, like tiny little mm-hmm. tunnels where they're not really getting the sunlight and they're not being moved. Oh, wow. That's awful. Yeah. yeah. And so yeah, that's, just, that's a feedlot chicken. Yeah, totally. And, you know, but, you know, they're on grass. Mm-hmm. So they're, quote, grass fed and they're, and the, you know, they're just getting feed. Yeah. See, he's doing nothing illegal by telling you that. Right. Not that I want those terms legislated. We need less legislation. Uh, uh, yeah. We need, we need more ethical people. Right. More transparency. And, yeah. and, you know, yeah. Let, like if you're, if your farmer doesn't want you coming to the farm, well, your, your farmer's probably hiding something. Exactly. Yeah. If they won't let you on the farm, there's a problem. Yeah. And, you know, and, and it's, I've noticed that there's uh, some of them who will say, oh, well, the government regulations say that I can't have anybody, you know, come on to mm. the farm because blah, 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 blah. No, there's no. Yeah, that's BS. Yeah. Yeah. So tell me before I'm going to let you go soon. I, I really talked your ear off here. Um, but uh, tell me a little bit about the raw milk controversy. You know, we talked a little bit about the fact that it's not milk that's you know the raw milk that's bad it's the it's the stuff we've done to milk that makes Mm -hmm. it it potentially bad what is the controversy and you know why yeah why 
Well, again, a hundred years ago, they started pasteurizing milk because of our world was changing. People were moving into the cities. The industrialization of America was happening. They're working in factories and they could no longer get their milk from the farm. So they decided to bring the cows to the city and they were concentrated around these swill dairies, eating the spent grains. A, a dairy cow would literally have one calf. She would stay tied to her same stall her whole life. She wouldn't move until she died in her own pile of feces. They milked her to death. Mm. And people were not yet aware of how disease transferred through foods. They weren't washing their hands. And they were, you know, a person with tuberculosis would milk a cow and make someone else sick. So right. And the death rate for children under age five was 50%. So that was a very dramatic, um, terrible time and something dramatic had to be done. And pasteurization was very helpful and it helped and the death rate for children improved. Well, I've heard that called an 18th century solution for an 18th century problem. Right. You know, we don't, we don't have that problem anymore. We have the technology to make sure raw milk is safe today the the moment it comes out of the cow, you can do instant tests on it and get turnarounds very quickly. Awesome. So we no longer have that, but there's this huge political attack. It, it's kind of, the, the, I call it the poster child for food freedom. Instead of mm-hmm. attacking all farm fresh foods, they just choose one and that's raw milk. So, so anyway, it's unfairly attacked. If you produce milk in the right way, raw milk. You can produce safe raw milk 100% of the time. I know this and I see this and I teach people how to do this. But the problem is we have a lot of new farmers who leave their jobs in the city and they buy their five acres and they bring home their milk cow and they do not educate themselves and they do not, they don't have the marketing skills. They can't sell their milk. They don't have it priced right. So they're losing hundreds of dollars a, a week so they don't take the precautions necessary. I mean, we have hundreds of safety precautions we do in our dairy barn to make sure our milk is safe. Well, when you don't have the resources, financial resources to do that, those are the things that suffer. And then you can have um, an E. coli outbreak or something. So again, we have this reason and need for more experienced farmers. Now that doesn't happen very often. It, It rarely happens. People die, you know, they'll do a a recall of a million pounds of ground beef and have seven people dead and and that's all fine. But if that were, you know, people don't die from E. coli from raw milk. You know, they, I think we haven't had a death from raw milk in 30 years or since they've been tracking it. So the statistics just aren't there to back that up. Right. But they, it's still unfairly attacked Right. And, and, and and like military style, that's the scary. I mean, this is insane when you, oh my gosh, I can't even, I mean, there was the, the one dairy in California, uh, or the, sorry, it was the rum, it was the food club that was attacked, uh, you know, with, yeah, just, just disgusting. Uh, Yeah. They'll, they'll do raids. They'll go in like you saw in the farm again, they go in with their militia (laughs) rifles and families homes. Yeah, they treat you like criminals. I've had I've had uh, the health department out here and they'll pull up, do a big show. They'll pull up in front of my car so right. I can't drive away and they'll say, I heard you produce raw milk. I want a sample. And I'm like, really? OK, you know, I'm happy to comply. And, and 
anyway, they do. They treat you terribly like you're guilty of something and it's, it's awful. And it's just to posture and let you know that they can do you in at any moment. So um, we kind of take the brunt, you know, raw milk takes a lot of a big hit for olive food. But I do have to say, because I think you found me maybe through the Farm to Consumer Legal Defense Fund. Yes. When I started with them seven, seven or eight years ago, when I first became a member, raw milk was illegal in half the states in America. And they've worked steadily over the last um, seven or eight years to the point that I think it's only illegal in 10 states now. We only have 10 left. So we're making progress. But even in the states where it's legal, they still try to try to catch you up. Well, in in Pennsylvania, several of my Amish farmers were, you know, they they were taken in at gunpoint um, with their families. You know, these poor, you know, little Amish children who, you know, if they were lucky, got to fourth grade. Some of them, you know, just can you imagine how that scars a child at such a young age, Um, particularly a child who doesn't even see, you know, regular technology, let alone guns Um, and having their dad hauled off as a as a criminal for providing a service to people who desperately need this healing food. Yeah. Um, really and like the a most, disgrace. Um, the most powerful healing food there is, you know, I think it's no mistake that they have attacked the most powerful food because of the probiotics and enzymes and the healing powers of it. You know, right. They, Oh, yeah. You know, big, big farmer don't like that. <laughs> Ooh, <laughs> big farmer nope. does not like us knowing, you know, how to take care of ourselves. Oh, um, I know. Yeah. It's, it, yeah. it is, uh, it is quite, quite a disgrace. And I always say that if the founding fathers ever thought that food would be under attack in this country, they would have written it into the constitution that it couldn't be. Right. Uh, right. Of be- course. You know, it's, it's, it is the most illogical thing to my mind to, you know, I'm, I don't mean to get too <laughs> controversial, but I'll put it this way. I can get a permit to get a gun. I can't get a permit to get my milk. Right. You know, there's right. a well, problem with, you know, something that is designed to kill being allowed and something that is, you know, could potentially, but then again, what couldn't actually hurt you, you know, something that maybe has a, a slight potential, but is not, it, it, that's not its intention. Yeah. And, and, and it doesn't hurt anybody but me. Right. Right. <laughs> so it's, and um, the good it can do is endless. And, you know, it's interesting because we a year ago we passed the marijuana bill here in Oregon. Mm. So uh, marijuana is just treated so much better than raw milk. You know, it's yeah, crazy. Like, I know. <laughs> I'm a criminal because I have milk from a cow. And yet, you know, all everyone can go buy and smoke marijuana. <laughs> yeah, Exactly. <laughs> Exactly. I mean, you know, I don't deny that there's probably some healing benefits in cannabis as well, but it's just legal like it should be. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And then and but but milk. Come on. Really? (laughs) Oh, well, the government wants to you know keep you alive. That's BS. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. Crazy. um, Tell us a little bit about what the Farm to Consumer Legal Defense Fund does and how can people get involved? Well, it is an organization, uh, it's a nonprofit, and it was sort of modeled after the Homeschool Legal Defense Fund. Oh, okay. And small farmers like me, we don't get subsidies, we're unfairly attacked, we have these regulations that are unfair and unbalanced put mm-hmm. on us, you know, regulations for food are meant for 
these huge CAFOs and exactly and hundred thousand acre farms and corporations, not a three cow dairy yet. They demand that we uh, try to meet them. So it's a real struggle for farmers when they have legal problems. Of course, they can't afford an attorney. So the Legal Defense Fund is made up of several attorneys who donate a lot of their time or get paid very little for <laughs> the stuff they do get paid for to defend small farmers. For instance, we had the first raw milk case go to trial last year in Wisconsin, and we won. Yay! You know, yes, yes. The first trial. Can you believe they put raw milk on trial? It's crazy. I know it is. But anyway, it's this group of, and they are just, I'm on the board. I was elected to the board a couple years ago. And we all donate a, a lot of time educating the public. And then the attorneys, of course, give a lot of legal advice. If you're, a, it's very easy to become a member. You, uh, I think it's $50 for a regular person and then maybe 125 if you're a farm. It is so worth it because think of what an hour, you know, a cheap attorney would be 250 an hour. Oh yeah. You know, that's a cheap attorney. So I joined seven years ago when I brought my first dairy cow home and before I got on the board, I had probably three or four conversations with them about legal things that were happening, you know, that I would have had to go to an attorney and pay for. And that was free. That was covered in my membership. Right. And then if the, if they have to defend you in court, it's often at a reduced rate. Right. So they're and their raw milk is not the only thing they defend. They work on all sorts of food freedoms. If you're at the farmer's market trying to sell your canned peaches and they unfairly attack you, you know, they'll right. work with you to challenge uh, th- those sorts of things. Uh, there's overspray happening where organic farms are being sprayed by their neighbors and, yes. and crops are destroyed and they'll, they've been involved in some of those cases. We're trying to pass laws to help with slaughter, slaughtering of animals, which is really hard to find slaughterhouses because of the regulations. So they're trying to work with that. So it's they do endless good and they're really wonderful people and it's not that expensive. I mean, it's the cheapest insurance you could ever have. Right. And, and, you know, as a, as a, a consumer and advocate, I, you know, support the, the fund as well because like you said, with all the farmers that kind of went out of business, right? Mm-hmm. When you were trying to heal your children, it's really a no brainer. It's, it's just, uh, it's one of those investments in, in saying like, okay, my farmer, I'm, I'm contributing to help my farmer be protected. Uh, yeah, that's how I feel. If you eat farm fresh food from a farm, from a farmer's market, or it, it, become a member. If you're just a person eating good food, become a member because you're supporting those farmers by doing that. You're, you're there in helping their insurance policy there. Right. It's, it's that, uh, you know, be, be the beauty that you want to see in the world or whatever that. <laughs> quote is you know yes (laughs) it's just um it just makes sense and uh i i do encourage anybody listening um you know whatever you can donate you know it it helps them out it helps them to um to do this good work and to ensure that when you need it your your food source will still be there Mm -hmm. uh one thing that you mentioned to me that i didn't realize uh just before we started was uh you were on a series on pbs food forward tv tell us a little Mm -hmm. bit what, what were you talking about there and and how did that go it was a wonderful it's a wonderful documentary i think it's about a series of 12 or 13 episodes 
30 minute episodes and they cover a different um, aspect of food each each week. So there's one on foraging mushrooms and they mm. actually go out and forage with the farmer. You know, it's very hands on the the people were there. And so, yeah, the the directors, they came to the farm here and the producers and they filmed my whole process milking my cow and. I was involved in the dairy episodes. So there was a dairy, there was my dairy, which is a small micro dairy. And then there was the largest raw milk producer in the nation, Mark McAfee. They went mm -hmm. to his dairy, which is very different. And then I think they went to an ice cream store in San Francisco. So it was all about dairy. One of the episodes, and it was fun to watch the series. One of the episodes was on uh, <laughs> roadkill. Ooh. So, like there's this whole thing and it's 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 somewhere back in the hills somewhere where people there's like a roadkill festival and they're eating squirrels and all that so it was just exploring food that people are eating all around the U.S. and kind of the champions in that you know the thing people that are doing really good in in their little niche whatever it is and there were one episode was on this woman. There's a seed library somewhere yeah. in Arizona where you can go get seeds that you can't get anywhere else mm. in the world. And you check them out, you grow them, and then you you harvest your crop and you give some of your seeds back to the library for the next nice. person. You know, how cool is that? These Because most of the seeds now are genetically modified too. So <laughs> anyway, that <laughs> that's was like an uphill battle. <laughs> I know, I know it is. But that was a very eye-opening. I learned a lot about other foods, things I took for granted and never thought of. Yeah. Next time you hit something on the road, stick it in the back of the truck. I, <laughs> oh, God, no. <laughs> I think I, I, you know, I'm not against roadkill. It's just, I need to see it happen before. Like, I'm not just going to go grab something that's dead on the side of the road. Like he, right. here, here in Hawaii, we have a lot of wild pigs. And oh, uh, yeah. so every once in a while you see a wild pig on the side of the road or, or a goat or something like that. Um, but yeah, I don't know when you were killed. I, I, I don't know why you died. You might have just keeled over from something else. I, yeah, <laughs> I have no idea. Green or something. Yeah, it's it's not my thing. People think I'm really weird for doing raw milk, but I think that's a lot more tame than a. Well, you also squirrel. know where you also know where it's coming from, and, and and raw milk. What's nice about it is like you can leave it in your fridge, and it's like, oh, the milk went bad. I have cheese. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Or sour, so cream. Just, or sour yep. cream, right? So I'm just like, mm -hmm. it's not. You know, it doesn't it doesn't go bad. It just morphs. It just yeah. does does what yeah. it's supposed to do naturally, um, which, you know, normally we use different uh, agents uh, like rennet or what have you to, to turn it into whatever we want. Uh, with that, is there any anything else that you'd like to add, Charlotte, before I let you go? Uh, any tips for new farmers um, or, or do you want to just tell people where to find you online? Sure. Well, uh, our local farm, we have a farm store. We don't ship our products, but local here between Portland and Salem is shampooicreamery.com. And um, spell that. Uh, <laughs> yes, right. C H A M P O E G and then creamery.com. And then for farmers, I have my website, Three Cow Marketing. It's the number three cow marketing, not spelled out, number three. Dot com And that has all sorts of information uh, and blog posts regularly and all the information about my courses to help farmers build a profitable farm. Probably the best, one of the neatest things I have going on right now is I have this private Facebook group for farmers called The Profitable Farm with Charlotte Smith. And it's free. And that is 
just been a real goldmine for farmers because it's a safe place for them to talk about their practices and their prices without being criticized by other people on Facebook, you know? Right. And so we're in there supporting people. And if you're a new or experienced farmer, you'll want to be in that group. It's amazing the ways people are helping people out. And we keep it very positive. So the other guy, the other day, uh, a lady put up, you know, her milk was $9 a gallon. And and some guy, another farmer criticized her in the Facebook group. And I said, whoa. And I said, that's not here. I said, this is the profitable farmer. Right. I said, raw milk is so expensive to produce that this is the kind. And he argued with me back and forth. And I was about to delete him and, from the group. And I finally said, this is a group where if a woman says she's charging $100 a gallon for her raw milk, we're going to say, you go, girl. Yeah. Because all of us who are raw milk farmers know what goes into that. And trust me, that $100 is nothing compared to what we sacrifice. So so that's been a really fun network for farmers all across America mainly, but also around the world. Right, right, for sure. And, uh, you know, you talked earlier about um, – the regulations and how they're designed for the, the big players, right? Uh, mm-hmm. The, the big commercial, uh, dairies, for example. Uh, what people don't realize that one of the thing, you know, when it, it's not even necessarily just the, let's say the, the, the regulation on what you need to do, right? To pr- produce it. It's the fees just to get the testing and just to get the label on your food. Uh, they're charging, you know, they might, cause this happened in, in New Jersey with daycares of all things. They were mm-hmm. charging, uh, you know, the corporate entities that were in the, you know, basements of the pharmaceutical companies and whatever. They're charging them 30 grand a year to, you know, get some particular uh. certification. But the little mom and pop deal, you know, the person who's, who's just watching a few, you know, six or seven kids in her home after, after school to make a little extra money, she had to pay the same 30 grand. Yeah. Yeah. They- and, and it's quite the same with farmers, right? It is. I, one of the biggest ones that stands out is the raw milk. So California made raw milk sales legal in stores from grade A certified dairies. So now you can sell it in the store and be grade A certified and have as many cows as you want if you bought this $200,000 bottling system. Yes. So, so me with five or 10 cows would never be able to do that. Right. So basically, sure, we made it legal and you got to do this. So haha, you can't have a business anyway. You know, they really want little guys to disappear. Yeah. Um, and not, not, I haven't even gotten into taxes and uh. workers, workers compensation. And it's like, I don't even have a tractor. Why, why is my rate so high? You know, they don't look, nobody looks at the little guys, whether it's the government regulations or the insurance companies or anybody. So, but you know what? We're only going to change it by those trailblazers getting out there and doing it and taking the brunt of it. And I build all those into my prices and I educate my customers so that they understand that, right. you know, this is not I'm not doing this because we're getting rich. I have to charge this amount of money so that we cover the costs of this license and this fee and this inspection and this kind of insurance and this and this that is all required that, you know, and so our customers get it and they understand and they're happy to pay for it. And the farmers should pass that 
fee, you know, pass that on. That's a cost of doing business. So it needs to be reflected in their prices. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Charlotte, for speaking with us today and for giving us just such a a wealth of information, not only on uh, the raw milk, but on you know, what, what you can do to help farmers, because I want, uh, you know, I've been little by little investing more and more of, of my money into, you know, these products, you know, from with, with my, 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 maybe not so famous, but, uh, on the podcast before I've talked about my, my $5 pound broccoli back in the early nineties, you know, <laughs> that I had mm-hmm. to, that, you know, has now gone down to about a dollar a pound. But, you know, back then I, I made up the, my mind when I had the extra money, I was going to, you know, buy the stuff that I want to see more of. And, right. uh, you know, and, and in that time, it has moved forward. So, uh, you know, this is what people are talking about when they say vote with your dollars, folks. Uh, don't, um, you know, if there's something else, you might have to cut out cable TV, you know, and sign up for Hulu instead, you know, figure out, figure out where you're going to make your sacrifices and uh, what's important to you. Yep. Everybody has the choice for farm fresh food, because if they're not choosing that, they're, they're spending their money elsewhere, right. even, even people on lower you know, lower socioeconomic levels, they're still spending their money. So it's, it's a matter of choice. Everyone has the choice. Absolutely. Except in, except in uh, Chicago, from what I understand that neck of the woods, which by the way, is the seat of the American Dietetics Association. Uh, they don't oh. have, they don't have health food stores and, and stuff. Even Dr. Mercola has to go to Pennsylvania to get his meat. Oh uh, yeah. <laughs> so. uh, they should rise up. Rise up and but revolt. You know what? This is that's the thing. Public outcry. It's you know we, we're going to have to sadly uh, <laughs> be marching in the streets to protect our food freedoms. And uh, you know I, I always say, why do you know the Monsantos of the world? Why do they have to use their powers for evil and not good? Um, you know, you're so smart. You figure out a way to do what you do, but you know, make make your money without destroying the planet and destroying our health. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So again, Charlotte Smith of Three Cow Marketing and Shampooig Creamery. Uh, <laughs> I'm not, I can't say it with a straight face because I know I'm going to screw up. Uh, thank you so much for your time. Uh, it was a pleasure having you on the show, and uh, we hope to uh, get updates from you in the future. Oh, thank you. This has been really fun. Thanks for having me. Oh, thanks so much. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. The Nutrition Heretic Podcast is a production of Savor the Journey, LLC. Our audio editor is Nikola Popovich. Our podcast manager is Crystal McLean, and our operations manager is Linda Hansen. I'm your host, Adrian Hugh, the Nutrition Heretic. You can find us at nutritionheretic.com, where you can download the Nutrition Heretic's free shit list of seven health foods to avoid like the plague. You can also listen to previous episodes at nutritionheretic.com slash podcast. Be sure to like us on social media for updates. Our Facebook page is facebook.com slash nutritionheretic and on Twitter at NutriHeretic. Contact us with show ideas, questions, or if you just want to be a guest. And don't forget to rate our podcast on iTunes and Stitcher. Thanks!